Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than deny myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 30 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Leah Comerford, and she is from Fredericksburg, Virginia, where she is a retired graphic artist. Welcome, Leah. Hi. Nice to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad to talk to you today. So I like to start off by asking, what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that? Okay, so that'll be a, a little bit of a, a long history because I came to it late in my dieting journey. I'm one of those people who have been yo-yo dieting and actually on a diet since approximately the age of 10, maybe a little sooner. Wow. And my mother didn't want a fat child and did everything she could to try to change that but it didn't work, of course. It worked in intermittently, like intermittent fasting, I guess. So I've been dieting for 60 years, because I'm 70 now. And there was a point where I lost like 90 pounds 
and a lot of hard work, a lot of exercise, just, you know, doing what I was doing. And then when my husband was diagnosed with cancer, I sort of stopped juggling everything. And I had gotten down to about 135 pounds. And by the time he died, I was up to 200. And within three years of the grieving process, I was up to 275. So the highest I'd ever been before that I got and where my body would stabilize out would be around 200. So this was way, just way beyond what, well, I was about to say what it needed to be. Of course, it didn't need to be anywhere near 200 either. But right, yeah, 275 was quite a change after you managed to hold it to around 200 at your max before then you said. Right, and then pretty much zooming up from 135 to 275, you know, within a four-year period. Yeah, I know that was hard. I bet it felt like everything was just spiraling out of control in your life. Well, when I moved to live next door to my parents after my husband died, I gave up my scale. I just wanted to die myself for a long, long time. So I didn't care what I weighed. (laughs) I mean, that, that just wasn't an important thing. Eating was an important thing. And so I wasn't really aware of how fat I was getting, just occasionally when I went to a doctor's office or something like that. And my cholesterol was up to about the same as my weight. It was up to 75. So things were spiraling out of control, but I sort of didn't care. So it was about seven years before I woke up to the world again and started paying attention. Lost my driver's license for a little while because I had sleep apnea and was falling asleep at the wheel. And hoofing it to the bus stops and all, I lost 20, 30 pounds quickly, again, without realizing it. It was when I got on the scale at the hospital for the second sleep study to prove that I could stay awake that I saw that I had lost, yeah, about 30 pounds. And I was amazed. And since I was kind of waking up to the world by then anyway, I decided to start dieting. And so then it was my usual, well, let's see, I guess I held down to about 240 at the time that I met my second husband. And I was in California at the time. He moved me to Virginia. And then I'm always happiest when I'm married. So the exercising and the dieting was easier. I mean, just was easier to do. I didn't necessarily lose a whole lot, but I got down to about 220 and would get stuck. And then a little bit of yo-yoing there between 200 to 220, I was constantly yo-yoing. When was this period of time? Like what year period was that? So 1990 was when my husband died and 1998 was when I married. So I was at 240 pounds in 1998. Isn't it interesting? I can do the same exact thing. I can tell you, you name a year, and I can tell you ballpark what I made. <laughs> what you weighed. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you what clothes fit me. I can tell you what I was wearing. Isn't that weird? Yeah. It takes a little more time to come up with it when you're 70. I mean, I your bet. brain takes a little longer. <laughs> oh, it's okay. And then you have to sort of do things by uh, knocking other things out. But yes, marriage years and death years are easier to go by for you know what was happening when. And then the, the magic year of 2010, see, I'm always going to remember 2010, I weighed 220, and that's when I became a vegan. And not intending on any health issues to happen from that, I just, it was for the animals, and I just, you know, cut it all off. And then suddenly I dropped 20 pounds very quickly because I wasn't exactly sure what to eat and, you know, what things were safe. And it took me a while to just acclimate to the whole lifestyle and reading and and doing. So after I found that I lost all that weight and my blood pressure got better and my cholesterol got better, everything was getting better, then I started exploring plant-based diets to see, you know, what other health benefits could accrue from that. 
So about two years after I became a vegan, I found Dr. John McDougall and the rest of the plant-based folks and started reading a lot of that and got on the whole food, low-fat diet and got down over, let's see, so that was 2010. So between 2010 and 2017, I got down to 145 pounds and there was no more yo-yoing from that point. It was just a steady but slow, slow but steady decline. But when I got down to about 145, it's like I'd done everything I was willing to do, you know, no oil, no this, no that. I said, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't want to be in diet prison here. I might just have to stay at 145 forever with the occasional punches to get down a little bit. And now how tall are you? About 5'4 now. I was five five and a half in the earlier years. So about 5'4 and fine boned. I have tiny bones. So carrying even to uh, 145 is a little bit, is much for me. So it was around that time, around, let's see, two, uh, two, yeah, June of 2017, a little bit before that is when a friend of mine who was doing some fasting and I was playing with it a little bit and she introduced me to Dr. Fung's work and I watched a lot of his YouTubes and read his book. And I think I must have come across Delay Don't Deny from probably from Amazon, just looking at other health books in that genre. And yours popped up. And I said, well, this looks, you know, interesting. So I read that. It just took a couple of days. And I thought, okay, I think I can do this. Jason Fung's book was kind of meaty and sciencey, and I understood it all, but I didn't know really if I could do it. And I pretty much stayed away from a lot of keto books out there for intermittent fasting, and that just wasn't going to work out for my food. It's harder for vegans, especially if you don't like avocados and mushrooms and some other things that would be kind of necessary to follow a keto vegan diet. So I just started on your plan, well, not your plan, but, you know, based on delay, don't deny. Right. And at first I had a hard time doing it. I would, I would feel kind of weak and it's okay. I've got low blood sugar. I don't know if I can do this. And you know, the story we've heard a thousand times. Oh yeah. And I'd wait a couple of weeks and just sort of do it again, try it again. So I think it was maybe three weeks into it that all of a sudden I could. I could go 17, 18, 19 hours without having that feeling. Part of what helped was the Facebook page reading, you know, what everybody was doing. And someone introduced me to the idea of uh, pink salt as a way not to feel so that low blood sugar feeling. Right. So uh, this is the other thing I have to tell you about uh, getting older. You know, words go away. <laughs> I have a really good vocabulary, but sometimes I stop in the middle of a sentence and, oh, what am I trying to say? So that's sort of the the journey of how I got to intermittent fasting. So that was the summer of 2017? Is that what you said? Yeah, my initial start date, I say, is June of 2017. And I've lost uh, about 20 pounds since then. So nine or 10 pounds a year for me is about right on any healthy diet. But the benefits of fasting allowed me to keep going where the diet and I was doing was just sort of stalled. And, and I may have, may have eventually been able to unstall it, but the fasting helped in a number of ways to unstall it. I think that, you know, the diet definitely made a difference. You were eating in a way that felt best for your body and your body was happy with that, which, you know, just goes to show. I've talked to, you know, this is episode 30 or the 30th person that I've had on. One interview was two people. So I guess you're the 31st <laughs> person I've had on technically. And, you know, we have people that do eat keto, that eat a very high fat diet and that works well for them. Lots of right. meat. 
and their body thrives on that. And here we've got you eating a vegan diet, very low fat, and your body thrives on that. And I think that's a very important point to get across because until you found the way of eating that felt good for your body, you were constantly fighting to stay, you know, you said the lowest you got was 135 at one point, but then you would yo-yo back up to 200, you know, periodically and even beyond that during that period in the 90s. But finding the food that worked well for you was just the key. Mm-hmm. It definitely was. Yeah. And I had tried all the diets, of course, in the past. The Atkins diet, I always lost. I could always lose 30 to 40 pounds on any diet when I was younger. But the all-meat kind of diet that they had then, it's a little different now. They have a lot more vegetables they let you have. But after about three months, my blood just felt like sludge. Like It just wasn't sustainable for me. And I didn't have the information, the nutrition information for what I eat now. Or if I did, it sounded bizarre and extreme because, you know, I wanted macaroni and cheese and hamburgers and the rest. So I wouldn't pay attention to that kind of dieting because it didn't sound like any fun. (laughs) I'm sure a lot of people now think the diet I'm on would be no fun. A lot of my friends think it's, you know, a very strict diet, but in fact, it's not at all. I mean, it's more variety of food than I ever had ever in my life. I just wasn't into a lot of fruits and vegetables when I was younger and, you know, French fries and Oreo cookies were a lot more appealing. Yeah, but now you just feel better, which is the key. You know, you mentioned that when you tried to do, you know, Atkins and low carb, you felt sludgy, I guess, you know, just kind of heavy. Right. Yeah. After a time. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I felt too when doing a low carb or I dabbled in keto, you know, in 2014, you know, I don't do anything halfway. So if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it a hundred percent. So I was like tracking my macros and adjusting them. And I never felt great even after a couple months, but some people do. So this just really shows, you know, you're not suffering. You don't feel like you're restricting. And that's really how you know that you Mm -hmm. found something that works for you because it's a joy to eat that way. You're not having to white knuckle it to eat like that. You know, your your friends may not feel great on it, but you do. Um, My friends haven't tried it. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) They'll never know. (laughs) So they, you know, so they rolled their eyes. And I I told a couple of friends recently, I said, well, you know, on my deathbed, you're allowed to go, nah, 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 you should have had the chicken. (laughs) Well, but listen, they won't be at your deathbed because you have found a way of eating that makes you have vibrant health. So... You'll be outliving them. We just don't know. (laughs) I would like everybody to wait until after I'm gone. But of course, that isn't the way the world works. That's true. That's true. But yeah, I I just think that it's so important for everybody to keep in mind that what works for one person won't work for another. And yeah, I actually tried McDougal's plan and my body needs more fat. I learned. Yeah, Yeah. Well, what we have to remember is that our ancestors were very good at whatever made them thrive or we wouldn't be here. True. So you had different ancestors than I did. I did. What is your genealogy? Where Do you know where your ancestors are from? Yes, I could start World War III all by myself. I'm Russian, Polish, German, and English. Okay. <laughs> I loved what you said that. <laughs> I've always said, yeah, I've got everything in here. I can start a war all by yeah. myself. So yeah, people from different climates and populations have evolved with a different way of eating and their bodies thrive on something different. Yeah, I genuinely believe that. I'm super duper English, British, the whole British Isles makes up over 50% of of what I am. So Okay. Potatoes and cream. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) That's my heritage. (laughs) Uh, It works for you. It's been working fine. It does. So what does a typical day of eating look like for you now? 
I usually eat between, start around 1 to somewhere between 1 and 2.30. And I like to start with some roasted vegetables if the timing is right. A lot of times it isn't. I have my 97-year-old, almost 98-year-old father lives with us, and he loves to eat out. Um, Um, But he won't eat if I'm not eating with him. So I found three restaurants where I can get food that, you know, is okay for me. So one of my favorite foods two or three times a week is at a restaurant called Sammy T's. And I get this lovely salad with falafels on top. Now the falafels are fried. I don't worry about it. It's in my window. And, you know, this is not part of my low fat eating. But I tell my father at least every other day, I need to eat my own food. So if I'm lucky enough to be home for lunch, I like to make, again, another big green salad, but I top it with a whole lot of rice and beans that I pan fry without oil, maybe throw in tomatoes and some barbecue sauce. And it becomes almost like a taco salad without the meat. It has that sort of a feel to it. And it's a big, you know, when you're eating um, a plant-based diet, you can eat pretty large portions of stuff. So it's a really big salad with almost a cup of rice and half a cup of beans. And then um, later, after we play, we play gin rummy for about 90 minutes every day. So usually after that, I'll have some fresh fruit salad and maybe a couple ounces of nuts. Again, before I wouldn't have nuts in my diet because they were, they were too much fat. But now that I'm at 125, I can kind of consider this maintenance, even though I'd like to lose another 10 pounds. I don't worry so much about that, again, as long as it's in my window. So I'm eating, I suppose I'm eating one meal a day, but maybe one and a half. And like I say, at that restaurant, if they've made vegan chocolate cake that day, we take a piece of chocolate cake home and flit it for dessert. So I'm getting my fair share of treats. Oh, yeah. But the bulk of my diet is potatoes, beans, rice, corn, the starches, and then as many fruits and vegetables as I can fit in. And my stomach is not all that big, so I can't I had trouble when I tried to do like a two-hour window. I just couldn't eat enough food to sustain myself in two hours because my stomach's not that big. So I had to stretch that out to a four- to five-hour window. Okay, four- to five-hour window then. Yeah, that that's mine often ends up being like that too. So just like you, I eat one actual meal, but I'm just like you. I can't shove in enough food physically in, you know, in one, one, one sitting or on one, one plate, right? Yeah. Yeah, it would just be too much food, and I would be uncomfortable. So that doesn't feel like you know much of a fun lifestyle at all. No, no, that's that becomes more work. You know, yeah, have to kind of like loosen the reins, is what I call it. Exactly. But yeah, you listed a lot of foods that that I love: rice, beans, potatoes, corn. Those work really, really well for me too. Right. Well, you're practically a McDougaler then, anyway. I'm a McDougaler with the fat. Oh, I, yeah, I put a good bit of fat. Yeah. <laughs> so he would definitely frown at me with the, the amount of butter. Yeah, except that you're at your I you know, at your ideal weight. So it's in terms of weight loss, he wouldn't. I don't think he'd frown at you much. That's true. But as hard as I tried to make keto work for me, because I read all the books and the science makes sense to me, mm-hmm. my body just didn't love it. But I look back to the time that I really did lose the most weight in my adult life. My early, It was in the 90s, and it was following low fat. Right. My DNA results came back like that, too. You know, I recently... I got my DNA analyzed with 23andMe a couple years ago, but I recently ran it through a platform that wasn't around then, but it was Xcode Life was the name of it. It tells you, you know, based on your genetics, are you more likely to lose weight or gain weight with carbs or with fat? 
Uh-huh. And mine came back that I would be more likely to lose weight on low fat and carbs would not be likely to bother me. And I just thought that was very interesting because... Because you already know that's what makes... That's you- what happened. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's, so, nice, it's nice to have validation. It is. And it's just so interesting. And I know that the science of you know using genetics to figure out what foods work well for you is still evolving, but there's clearly something to that. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't discount it. So, you know, you read a diet book and, and that one didn't work for you. Well, it would be interesting to know what the genetic profile of that author. Oh, that's true. Would be. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. I mean, I've read keto books and oh, paleo because I'm interested. I'm interested in what the thinking is and what foods, you know, they eat and just what their overall health is. So I find a, there are usually some key elements to any of these plans that are intriguing. And like the end of one, we just have to keep figuring out what works for us. Exactly. So what Leo was talking about, for listeners who may, may not know, N equals one is the idea that you are your own number of one experiment. You're experimenting with your body. And so you figure out what works for you because really you're the authority on how you feel. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's really, I feel like my life's mission, other than, of course, intermittent fasting, which is definitely part of my mission because I feel like Without exception, I mean, there are clearly some exceptions, like people who have certain health conditions or if you are pregnant or breastfeeding, you know, or have certain eating disorders. Other than those few people, I think most adults could find great health through intermittent fasting. But other than intermittent fasting, my other life's work is trying to help people realize that you are empowered to figure out what foods work best for you. Right. Right. We have too many years of being told and just putting our faith in whatever guru we were following at the moment that we've lost any idea that we can make these decisions for ourselves and look and listen to our bodies and and figure it out. Well, for one thing, it takes patience. And as you know, when we start a diet, we want to lose right now. We want to lose 30 pounds by next week. Right. So it's just easy to give up. And that's that's part of the psychology of, of eating, which... Uh, which I'm very interested in. Why the, the motivation of why we eat when we eat, why we can't stop ourselves when we know we want to stop ourselves. And I've been doing a lot of reading on that lately, and that it is fascinating. It really is. Do you have a specific book recommendation, something that, that's really spoken to you? Anything by Doug Lyle, PhD. He co-wrote with Alan Goldhammer, The, um, the Pleasure Trap. Uh, yeah, I've heard of that one. The two of them also founded True North Health in Santa Rosa, California, where they do water fasting for, you know, up to three or four weeks to, to help people heal. So he's, he's not really great into intermittent fasting so much. He has nothing really against it either. But he's a motivational psychologist and uh, evolutionary psychologist. So what he has to say is all about how what we are in our Stone Age brains and how we were how we're wired to be around food and to get the richest food in the environment. And it takes a lot of work to get past what our Stone Age brain wants. We are just programmed to do that. And whether it's when we're full, what it calls the cram circuit, and we feel like we need to put some extra in, well, that's what we had to do in the Stone Age when we were lucky enough to have a feast of any kind. You didn't stop when you were pleasantly full. You crammed in as much as you could because you didn't know when you could get any more. And apparently our brains have not evolved since that time. We are hardwired to do these things. 
he has a podcast called Beat Your Genes that I listen to often. It's not all about dieting. It's about all behavior. And where was I going with that? Oh, that we do have to physically beat our genetics to overcome some of these things. And if we look at what we do when we're going for that uh, Snickers bar or something that we wish we could do without. We know that we would be happier if we did without, but, but gee, we just can't seem to stop ourselves from doing it. That's that animal brain inside that's saying, you know, this is the richest food in the environment and this is what we need to have. So his advice generally is to clean up your environment. You know, if you don't have those Snickers bars in the house or it's very inconvenient to get those Snickers bars, you're much more likely to not succumb. And if you can keep your emotions steady, I mean, that's what I can say when, when my husband died and I stopped juggling everything, well, we can't continue to beat our genetics when all our defenses are down and we're working on something else. So we just give up and let our animal instincts take over and eat that food, eat the richest food, which is what we're programmed to do. And this is over and over again. They've shown that this is how, how the mind works. So I can see it now. One of the things that fasting has done for me is to close the door on some of that stuff where I don't have any decisions to make for X amount of time. I can play this game. You know, I stop at five o'clock in the evening or whatever it is and done. That door slams shut. And it doesn't matter that my husband and my father have all kinds of food in the house that might be tempting to me. I'm not going for it. My window's closed. And without that little game to play, I don't know if for the long term I could keep from succumbing to some of those temptations. Or I do have to tell you about this. The For years and years, I always watched TV in bed at night. And I would frequently have a late dinner. My potatoes or whatever I wanted was late at night or popcorn. And I didn't like the idea of eating in front of the TV that way. I missed part of the facial expressions of people because I was dipping into the popcorn or whatever I was eating. And every time I tried to stop that habit, I could go two or three days and and just come back to it. It was like it was too comforting. It was it was too what I'm used to doing. And and it was private. I could eat in privacy, which is one of my hangups. So I couldn't get rid of that habit. But when I started the delay don't deny and fasting and ending my fast between five and six or whatever. Well, there's no more late night eating and it wasn't a problem. It just stopped. And I realized that a lot of eating I was doing was because I was sleepy and wanted to stay awake to, you know, to finish the movie, which is a stupid way to, (laughs) that's no excuse to eat, you know, when you're not even hungry. So that was a revelation that I could just stop that, that habit. And I would find every once in a while, let's say a book club, book club ended at 8.30 and I was used to having popcorn to end my window. And so I would say, well, all right, I'm going to have a longer window because darn it, tonight I want popcorn and I want to I want to unwind. I want to watch that movie. Or if one of my guys has been in the hospital and I'm in, under a lot of stress, I can do okay for two or three days and about the third or fourth day, I've got to have that candy bar and I've got to unwind in front of the TV. And so I just let myself do that now without any guilt, because now, you know, almost two years into this lifestyle, I have no problem with getting back on the wagon, even if it takes me a week to lose whatever poundage I gain from being off. I have the confidence that I can just get back on and do it because 
is how I live now. It's how I eat now. And it's how I feel best. Yeah, I think that's powerful. You give yourself permission when that occasion comes up and it feels right to you that day, but you don't beat yourself up about it and you just move on. You're like, all right, today I'm going to have that popcorn. Right, right. Although I now quit popcorn altogether because of my teeth. <laughs> oh, dear. And I, do, <laughs> and I do miss popcorn, but, you know, that's almost a like what happens with food anyway. When you have something that makes you feel ill, uh, you finally stop doing it. I'm almost that way with chocolate overload. When I have company coming, in fact, my brother and sister were here recently, and I made chocolate bark, which they love, and it's a good excuse for me to quote-unquote cheat And then I have to make sure, normally if I have something like that, like at a party and and I make a a vegan dessert that everybody loves and I'm going to get my fair share, I have to make sure that the very next day I throw any leftovers into the downstairs freezer because I'm too lazy to go down there and get it. And I can talk (laughs) myself out of that. But if I let that go on for three or four days, like I do when I have company visiting and I have some chocolate bark every day, and it may not be a lot. But that's an easy way to fall back into the pleasure trap. And if once you're in the pleasure trap and, and all the brain circuits are going and you want that food again very, very badly, then it might take two or three days of white knuckling it to go through the withdrawal again of something that you're more or less addicted to and you've gotten over the addiction, but you popped it back in. Yeah, you're fine without it. And then you get caught up in it again and you can't let it go on for too many days. Right. That's like, you know, an alcoholic couldn't get away with this at all. I mean, an alcoholic can say, well, I'll have one drink and go right back on it the next day. And, um, you know, that's a severe addiction. And an alcoholic would be trapped again after one right. drink. We have a, a much easier time of it if we're, you know, slightly addicted to sugar or chocolate, whatever it happens to be. We have the wherewithal to say, okay, I had, you know, I had my treat. I had my planned indulgence. And now we need to shove that away right away before we're back in the trap. If we go two or three days, then we might have to white knuckle it to get back to where we were. That makes sense. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium and specifically magnesium breakthrough by by Optimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency, and in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories, promo code ifstories10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash ifstories, promo code ifstories10. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on 
on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. I want to go back to something you said before that I wanted to highlight. You talked about how fasting, use the words, closed the door. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you close that window, you don't have any more decisions to right. make. And that really is, I think, why intermittent fasting works so well for most of us, myself included. You know, I remember you probably were the same way before intermittent fasting. Were you constantly thinking all day long about whether it was time to eat something or not? Is it appropriate to eat something else? Should I eat something else? Is it the right time? Is there room? Yeah. Do I have room? Yeah. I mean, I just exactly. had a big dinner. Do I have room for something else? Is anyone watching me That's eat right. this? Because just like you said, that that stuck out to me, how you would be alone and you were eating alone. And I admit I would eat differently alone versus in front of people. Yeah. You don't want people to see you eating it, That's right? right. That's right. Now I don't care so much. I've gotten over that. I knew that was a you know, a particular psychological issue that I wanted to get over. Uh, but the the need to eat in private and without people watching is still pretty strong. So I will eat in front of people now, but I enjoy it more if I'm by myself. I think that some of that psychological stuff comes from from being overweight and feeling judged. You know, you said it started for you when you were 10 and your mother was putting you on diets. For me, it started because I would get an apple for dessert at night and my brother and both my parents had bowls of, you know, three scoops of mint chocolate chip ice cream. And that just wasn't fair. You know, the kid, I mean, it was fair for me to need to lose weight, but for the child to see everybody else having this uh, birthday party in front of them and all I get is an apple. So when people were out of the house, I made sure to get my little spoon and kind of dig a little ice cream out of the freezer or in a movie theater, when you know, if I was by myself, I could get a box of something that my mother never would have let me have in a million years. And that became a lifelong thing. I called it closet eating. I don't know if that's a real term or not, but that was it. And even when I was married, I didn't really let my husband see everything that I was eating, even though he would have been okay with it. He was never on me about dieting. Uh, neither one of my husbands were were, I mean, they liked it when I was losing weight, but both of them married me when I was over 220 pounds. And so I figured, okay, well, they love me, whether I'm fat or thin. Right. That diet mentality of I must be a little piggy because I'm going to eat this donut. That takes a long time to get over the fact that, well, here's another thing. I know I'm jumping around a lot, but one of the things Dr. Lyle said recently in in an interview was, I think he said like only maybe 20% of the skinny people in the world really earned it. They think that we don't have any willpower because we we eat too much and we get fat. And he said, that's, you know, that's not true. They've never had to do it. They have the genetics that keep them thin. Right. They have no idea what it takes to go without the richest food in the environment in in order to lose weight. And they just don't get it. So they just think we need to push ourselves away from the table. You're exactly right. My husband is one of those 20%. Mm -hmm. Well, no, no, only 20% earned it. He's one of the 80% (laughs) then. I I got the math wrong. So if only 20% of the people that are skinny earned it, the other 80% of people who have been lifelong skinny people, he just naturally 
never has had to worry. Yeah. He literally, you know, I've told this story before on on other podcasts. We went on a cruise and, you know, I was 210 pounds when we got off the boat and or even more because I don't know how long it had, you know, after we got off the boat before I weighed. But he had to put his belt on one more little, you know, <laughs> one more notch. And then one week later, he was fine. You right. know, he didn't even have to. Right. But he was still wearing the same pants, you know, that he wore when we got married in 1991. And so he has never had to struggle. And when I was struggling those years, I also think that it's a vicious cycle. You know, we I was totally overfed yet undernourished. Right. You know, I wasn't eating the right food, so I was never feeling satisfied. But, you know, my body wasn't getting the nourishment that it needed. But he would really say, you know, just eat less. Yeah, they don't get it at all. Just don't eat so much. And I'm like... You know, sweetie. Yeah, and not only that, but they are just as addicted. You know, all of America, all of, you know, the world is addicted now to sugar, coffee, whatever. They're just as addicted to these things as we are. It's just that their body doesn't suffer for it. So they don't, they don't see right. what the problem is. Oh, yeah. He used to eat muffins for breakfast and, you know, those like apples, some kind of apple mm-hmm. muffin. And then he would have a bowl of ice cream every yep. night. Yep. And weren't you jealous? Before bed. Yeah, and he would have an almond butter sandwich, you know, some nights before bed if we didn't have ice uh-huh. cream. Yeah. I know. I know. It's it's mad. He's now realized <laughs> this is this is crazy. He's realized that chocolate makes his ears ring oh. for some reason. He has made that connection. So he no longer is eating chocolate because it makes his ears ring. And in fact, I ate some chocolate last night and he said, I swear the smell of that just made my ears <laughs> ring. <laughs> but yeah, he would eat all kind of sugar all yeah. the time. Yeah, they're yeah, they're just as addicted. They just don't, they don't suffer for it. Yep. So they don't understand what our problem is. I, I find, I yeah. find stuff like that fascinating. It, it also helps us to accept the fact that we are what we are. Our body, my, my body is extremely efficient at storing energy. That's just the way it is. It's nothing I've done wrong. That's just the way my body is. So I have to accept that and do what I can to improve my health. And I have to learn how to be happy about that. How often though, do we all, myself included, you included, you know, those years that we struggled, we felt like it was just a personal feeling of, you know, that we were weak. Sure. Because that was the common thinking of the time. I think it still is really. I mean, you know, except for the people who get it and, you know, there are hopefully more and more people are starting to get it, but, you know, realizing that it's not just everybody just count your calories and we'll all just be the same, you know. Right. You know, science has advanced so much. They learned, learned so much more about nutrition and what goes in and what goes out. And, and like even the stuff like the gut microbiome, this is all new, new, new really stuff is. to the world. So everything that you learn, you get to apply and, and cherry pick a little bit, you know, you, the things that resonate with you that help your life and the rest just sort of find interesting to the human condition to what everybody else is doing, because it, it is alarming when you go out on the street now and see when I was a, a child, like I say, I was maybe carrying 15, 20 pounds, but I was the fattest kid. Now there are kids that are carrying 50, 60, 70 pounds and, and the adults yeah. as well. I mean, everybody just bigger and bigger people all the time. And they're not doing anything differently than anybody else is doing. Right. And just some people are putting on the weight. That's right. And, and until they figure out how to help these people understand what's going on in their lives, because they don't want to be overweight. Who does? No. Right? You have shortness of breath and, and diabetes and all the other problems. But 
still people look at them like there's something wrong with them. There's something they don't have any self-control. And I've always said heavy people, myself included, have a lot more willpower than most people. Otherwise, how would we have stayed on all those diets all those years and kept on trying instead of just giving up? Right. You know, we do all have periods where we gave up. I had had a period like that. And that was when I got to 210 pounds because I was just so weary Mm -hmm. from trying so hard. But it doesn't mean that I hadn't been trying. Or, Or in my grieving years. I mean, it's not like I wanted to gain all that weight. Right. I had other things on my mind. And that really is the beauty of intermittent fasting that people don't understand is that suddenly you don't feel like you're trying so right. hard anymore. Exactly. And, and, and people paradoxically think that it would be so much harder to not eat for periods of the day that that sounds like crazy hard, but it's really so oh, it's much so, easier. It's so good. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's yeah. just wonderful. And, you know, time, time can go by, my schedule can change and I might have to do two or three extra hours of fasting and... I'm not hungry. I'm, you know, for a minute, I'll be hungry and I'll, and I'll remind myself, no, you know, you just, you're expecting to eat. You're not really hungry. And I might throw a pack of nuts in my purse just in case. And I never have to get them out. I can wait till convenient to eat again. And there are other times when my body will signal just a little bit like, oh, I don't think I want to wait. You know, I kind of have a goal of 17 hours is like my minimum. And I'm usually right. between 18 and 20 hours. But Every once in a while, I don't make it to 17 for whatever reason. I'll say, well, okay, you know, this wasn't the day for that. And I stay within my, the rest of my parameters, which is, you know, as unprocessed as possible and within the window. And I'm going to be fine. There's not going to be, there's nothing to catastrophize about this. We just carry on. That takes time, though. It takes being on whatever plan you're on for, or this fasting protocols for, a good long while till you realize this is the way you're living your life. And it's, right. and it's lovely. And, and nobody can knock yes. you off of it because this isn't an experiment anymore. This is it. Yeah. And I think that's so important. You can really sense in the Facebook groups when people are new and they're frantic mm-hmm. about this is a new diet and it's not working very quickly and I failed, you know, this weekend, whatever. And, and you can just hear the language is just, you know, still like the typical diet thinking. And then as they evolve over the months and even the years, you become so chill yeah, about it. It relaxes a lot more. It's not a big deal. And I can say that I'm not totally there yet either. I do twist myself in a pretzel every once in a while. And I have have a couple of friends who are also on the group. And we do a a count. I would do accountability with them from time to time. And I would twist myself, I say, in a pretzel because I'd be, I was going to go, say, to Minnesota to visit my brother. And okay, that's going to be X number of days. And we have to deal with eating with other people and what, you know, non-vegan stuff and what they're going to be eating and I'm going to want my treats, and am I going to do this, am I going to do that? And I can make myself crazy in no time at all. And I think this time when my brother and sister came last week was maybe one of the first times where I didn't twist myself up about it. I made a basic plan. I never have trouble fasting during those times. It's, it's seriously just a matter of whether I'm going off plan for the food that makes me feel good. I fasted and I had the food that I wanted, but I wasn't worried about it. I had enough past experiences to realize that, okay, you're probably going to gain a pound or two as the glycogen stores fill up again, and it's probably going to take a week or more to lose it, 
to lose that two pounds and get back to where you were and then wait for whatever else your body's going to do. And so it was, it was a lot more relaxed. It wasn't totally, totally guilt-free, <laughs> but a lot more, a lot more. <laughs> I, I can see the changes and how much easier it's getting over time. And it's been almost two years. And I don't lose, like I say, I only lose nine or 10 pounds a year and I'm grateful. Well, you know, it takes a long time to undo all those years of programming with that Mm -hmm. diet thinking, Mm -hmm. even for me, you know, you know, I'll have a day I'm like, oh, my, my jeans feel a little tight this morning. Am I regaining all the weight? Oh my God, I'm going to have to give this up. (laughs) Oh my God, I've regained all the weight. I can't regain the weight. That's right. That's right. (laughs) You have, you have status to maintain. (laughs) You you are not allowed to (laughs) regain. But you know, it's, it's all fine. It all works itself out. And you know, but you still have that moment of panic every yeah. now and then. Yeah, I think that's that's going to be lifelong. And because that old thing. And the other thing I, I heard recently was that if you have a heavy child by the age of 10, that's going to be a lifelong problem. That gets set. So your biology, your physiology, whatever it is in there, that person is going to have to be not necessarily on guard, but is going to have to find a way, a healthy way to maintain their weight because their body is going to do what it's going to do. And sort of accepted right. that I am never going to be one of those people who is doesn't have to think about what they're eating. That's just not in the cards for me. But I'm not a person who has to worry about walking with a, a white tipped cane because I'm blind. I mean, if everybody right. has something that they have to learn to live with and make the best of. And mine is, is in that food area and also my balding, my male pattern baldness. I'm never going to have a head of hair like like people who are even older than I am and have nice, big, shocking, white heads of hair. And I'm just so jealous. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Nature decided I wasn't going to go gray. I have the same color I had all my life. I just don't have much of it. So I have to say, okay, that's all right. That's what I've got. And that's how I have to think about my weight as well. Yeah. I think that's a really wise way to view it because we could get all mad about, you know, this isn't fair. Why do I have to, you know... I think like that about my cellulite. I've got cellulite and I, I had it the, the minute I hit, you know, I got cellulite when I hit puberty and, you know, I wouldn't wear shorts and I was like, why do my legs look like this? And now I'm like, you know, I'll be 50 this summer. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, it is here. what it is. <laughs> I'm wearing, wearing my shorts. That's just, that's my body. And I'm not going to try to get potions and lotions and cover myself. You know, look away if you don't want to see it. That's well, and I probably still would cover myself because I'm just that's an age old thing. The cellulite, no, just the idea of needing to look look a certain way. I mean, my mother was always right. dressed to the nines, and I'm more like my father's sisters who didn't give a hoot. They just wanted to be comfortable, and so that was a you know a struggle for many many years. But I've got now you know a little bit of a of a fat apron. I don't know if it's totally going to go away or not. I'm you know hoping autophagy will take care of a lot of it. It's not as bold as someone who loses 150 pounds in a year and has, you know, this huge thing to deal with. But it's there and it's, you know, I wish that it wasn't, but it might have to stay. Um, There's no way that I'm getting any kind of surgery at this age because I'm worried that my brain will suffer. So I said, that's one of the things I just have to accept. It's like, you know, like the balding, like the anything else. And it it is, things are easier to accept as you get older, I got to say. You have X number of hours left. You want to be as happy as you can be without hurting anybody else and live your life. Just live your life. And one of the things I told myself 
my, my mother died at 81 and I swear at age 80, she was still on some kind of a diet. She was always doing something. Oh. And I'd watch her and I'd say, you know, if I get to be 80, I do not want to be on a diet. I refuse. I would rather be fat than be suffering. Of course, you know, she wasn't on any kind of healthy diets, but she was suffering. Right. She was restricting. She was overly restricting. And see, and the key is you don't feel like mm-hmm. you're restricting. Mm-hmm. See, and I don't yeah. either. And that's when you know it's something that's just right for you because it doesn't feel like all those restrictive diets. But your mother was restricting. Absolutely. And she hated it, but she hated her fat even more. And she wasn't that fat. I mean, she never got up to where I got. She was maybe in the uh, 100, what am I saying, 100, 150, 160 range. Yeah, yeah. And always dieting. And gee, if she'd, if she'd known what we've all learned now, I mean, it would be pretty wonderful. But, but that just wasn't the way it was for her. So that's just not for me. This lifestyle is perfect for that. I mean, whatever, whether my body decides to shed another 10 pounds or not, I don't care. I didn't care at, at 145 either. I was kind of accepting that, but that's the way it was going to be. And, and I liked my lifestyle. So intermittent fasting certainly helped me get down to another level. And if I go down even further, that's fine, but I'm not pushing it. I'm doing my thing. I'm doing what keeps me healthy. And whatever happens after that is up to my body and autophagy or whatever. However, it's all going to work out. Yeah, I think that's just really the way to, the way yeah. to live it. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. Now I have a question. Mm-hmm. We've talked about, of course, the weight loss and that you feel great. Have you had any other specific health benefits? I think most of my health benefits had already come from losing all, all the weight down from 275 to 140. You know, I'm not on any medications except a little bit of vitamin D and vitamin B12. So I had already gotten very, very healthy. And one thing I find with low fat is that I don't have a lot of arthritis issues that I had. And I can tell right away if I eat a really fatty meal, I guess there's some inflammation or something. So I think the fasting really has helped me more with the psychological aspects. It's helped me get control of things that I, that I was not able to get control of before and to be comfortable about the, the whole eating process. Well, that's pretty important. It is. I don't think I could have gotten here without that. I think I would still be suffering all the time and feeling like I was in diet prison and feeling sorry for myself when people were eating things that, that I couldn't eat because I was afraid to. That's helped quite a bit. I mean, when I go to a restaurant now, I don't worry that I'm having a higher fat meal than I could have had at home. And I did worry about that before. I just feel like it's okay. I'm 80% or 90% compliant with the McDougal program. 
and this other little bit that I'm having fun at a restaurant with my friends or with my father, that's fine. The fasting is going to take care of that, is going to make sure that I don't fall into the trap because of the fasting. That's huge for me. It is. Yeah. So anyone who has struggled like like we have with diets and struggling to find a, a way to just live our lives would understand how huge that is. Just the psychological freedom just cannot be overstated. Right. For anyone who's, and the people who are listening, I'm sure, have gone through this and understand. Yeah. In the beginning, I think they're so excited. We're so excited to be losing weight that nothing else matters. You know, we've got this new thing we do, the fasting, and we're losing weight. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the body's going to come to some sort of equilibrium and stall. And that's when the psychological stuff has to be addressed because it might take some more time to get to a, a different equilibrium. Right. That is true. You know, we do find weight loss is not a linear thing. You don't just go down, 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 right. down until you get to magically where you want right. to be. And as you've found right now, your body is happy at this certain weight where you are right now and isn't in a hurry to release anymore, even though you would like to lose a little more. Mm-hmm. But you're not stressing about right. it. Right. Right. And the and the equilibrium bit, too, that, that was took me a while to to get hold of, because I always think in terms of plateaus and this magic, magic plateau, when is it going to, like, you know, it's got its own thing, it's going to do it. But in fact, once you reach an equilibrium, which is what your body is going to stay at a certain weight, because it's in balance, and it will not change unless your behavior changes in some way. So for me, that meant I was having, say, a, a chocolate treat every day or popcorn every day or something that I had to just, or peanut butter, oh, heaven forbid, peanut butter, that, you know, where a tablespoon a day was fine, and then it would start ramping up till it was five or six tablespoons a day. And at some point, I had had to say, okay, well, I can't, I just can't do this anymore. I need to make this change. And then you make the change, and magically, the weight starts coming down again. Or you decide to go on an exercise program, and all of a sudden, it starts going down again, because the body wants to reach another equilibrium. And since we're all different and we all have a different level at which our bodies are going to be happy and stable, those equilibriums can happen at at different places. I mean, I might have to actually give something up to reach a new equilibrium. Other people might just have to take a walk around the block or, or change their fasting window or something like that. But the body isn't capricious. It only responds to what we do. And all of us have to do something different because we're all made different differently. Yeah. So I'm jumbling that. I don't, I, I don't explain it very well, but it is the. I think we, we know what you mean by that. I mean, you know, you, if you look at the title of my book, Delay, Don't Deny, you know, that might give someone the idea that they don't have to ever deny ever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but in reality, as I do talk about in Delay, Don't Deny, you know, you may need to delay it longer mm-hmm. than just. Yeah, you might need to delay it for three months. your window to date. Right. You know, there was a period of time when I was losing weight at the end where I delayed alcohol completely. I didn't drink, you know, my nightly glass of wine and I lost weight more quickly. You know, my body did not release weight with the wine. And so, you know, for people who are having wine every single night and your body is not losing weight, look to that. Yeah, there might be something to try. <laughs> you know, yeah, Or dessert every night, mm-hmm. you know. Maybe you're, you're going to maintain if you have dessert every night or wine every night. You know, delay those for a little while. Like I'm maintaining now on the two ounces of nuts every day and I enjoy them. And right. if I decide, if I really want to decide, I want to get below 125 then I might want to 
delay any more nuts for a couple of weeks or three weeks or four weeks or whatever it takes. Yeah. And I know that I don't gain eating those nuts, but I don't seem to lose either. So I can change my window or I can change what I'm eating. And I get exercise every day. So that's not going to, you know, that won't be different. So yeah, there again, the, uh, the end of one comes right back. We have to, right. we have to find out what's going to work for us, but we have to be cognizant of the facts. We have to be cognizant of biology and physiology as it applies to, to weight. So even right. though we say, you know, calories in calories out is not the thing anymore. Uh, calories do count. Right. We don't suggest that you count calories, but that doesn't mean, like you said, that, quote, calories don't don't count. But we also understand that a calorie is not a calorie is not a calorie. And that's where the whole thing is broken down because people who think, you know, 100 calories is 100 calories, no. Yeah. You know, your body's going to be really different with 100 calories of almonds Mm -hmm. than it will be. 100 calories of apple. Right. You know, your, sprouts, yeah. your body processes these things differently or a hundred calorie snack pack that's nothing but processed food. Your body's not going to, you know, respond as well to that. So quality of food makes a difference, but volume of food. See, I wish instead of saying calories, we would talk about, you know, the, the vo- and maybe volume's not even the, the right yeah, word. Because, because you, you can, can eat, eat a huge volume right. of just plant-based unprocessed as right. opposed to you know, five tablespoons of oil. Maybe energy density is a better way of thinking mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. In fact, they do count that count, you know, calorie density. It's still not, you know, just the straight up calories. So, right. you know, when we say don't count your calories, people then get the mistaken idea that the food amount doesn't count, right? Like, oh, it doesn't, I shouldn't count calories, so it doesn't matter how much I eat. Well, no, that's not what we're saying either. Right, right. <laughs> that takes a while to get used to that, to learn it. That's it does. Fine. It does. Well, I can't believe it, but we are out of time. Before we go, I mean, you really have like like in 30 seconds, what advice would you give to somebody who's just starting off with intermittent fasting? I would say more than anything, read books, listen to podcasts, listen to other people talk about it, keep yourself pumped up. The more you read or listen or watch You'll gain confidence. You'll get ideas of of experiments to do. You'll just keep yourself pumped up. Yeah, I think that's great advice because you can get in your own head and worry that this isn't working or it's not going to work for you. But you can realize there is a way to make it work for you with your own N equals one. And it it just helps hearing everybody else talk about whether it's experts or, or people on the Facebook. But read as much as you can bounce around. If you're in the keto world, read a little bit about the plant world. If you're in the plant world, read a little bit about the keto world. And keep your mind open. Yeah, because there's going to be takeaways from all of it. And if you can get into the psychology stuff, that's that's a blessing. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N- at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. 
To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast.